dramatic entrance. Oh, almost another one there. Thank you, Fleur, for reading that. Good afternoon, everyone. How? I don't know if that's going to... We'll just go with it like that. Okay. Um, great. I'm Bob. I'm one of the team here. Um, and uh, why don't we pray? Because <laughs> I've started so well so far. Um, and uh, yes, and we'll go for it. Uh, Father, we, uh, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you it has power. And Lord, we want to uh, receive that power today by your spirit. Uh, have our eyes widened, enlarged, and just re-envisioned with who you are and of your purposes for us uh, as a church and as your people in the world today. And we are set in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, this, is, this is an awesome passage. I've loved um, unpicking uh, this and sort of working through it this week, uh, even for myself. Um, and this is going to be uh, the first in what we are, uh, what's going to be a little series for us as a church in looking at the kingdom of God from the perspective of what does it look like when we pray, um, heaven, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we're about as a church, that's what we long to see, that's what's in our hearts and what we believe the Lord's called us to, is to see heaven come to earth. And so we want to look at that tonight from the perspective of, um, from the, perspective of, uh, of the kingdom of God, and we're going to go on a little series over the next few weeks uh, of, of what the kingdom is and aspects of the kingdom and how we can, uh, how we can learn as a church together about, more about the kingdom of God. So... Um, so if you've got a Bible, it'd be good to have it open. Um, uh, it on, this is Matthew chapter 4 we've been reading from. Don't worry if you don't, but I'll just keep referring to it throughout, and it'd be good just to follow, uh, follow that along. I think on some of the pews there might be Bibles. Do, um, yeah, have that ready. Um, so these are the first words of um, Jesus' public ministry that we have recorded. This is the first thing that Jesus says that people have written down for us to hear as he begins uh, his ministry. He's, we're told in the passage uh, that he's, um, he's moved from one area to, to another within Galilee. Um, it's coincided with the moment that John the Baptist has been put into prison. So King Herod, who was on the throne at that time, uh, I think had married his, uh, his half-brother's wife or something like that. And John had piped up about it publicly and condemned Herod, which he didn't like. And so he put John in prison. And at this moment, Jesus' public ministry begins in a place where he hasn't grown up so he, uh, in Nazareth, but he's, he's moved up to another place in Galilee um, and called Capernaum, which is a bit further north. And, um, and it's this moment that Matthew um, sort of brings together two parts of the story uh, for us. This prophecy about who Jesus is and where he'll operate um, and, and then what Jesus is actually doing. So Fleur read for us that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So this is where Jesus is now preaching or has started his ministry. And he says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, those words we often use at um, Christmas time. Anyone familiar with those ones at Christmas time? Yeah, we actually read them. I think Bart read them for us in one of the services uh, this year in St. Stephen's. Um, and Matthew wants to connect these two moments for us in our minds. He wants to say that the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what Jesus is announcing here, this is the light dawning. This is the great light uh, coming up on those living in the, in the land of the shadow of death. 
And, um, and Matthew wants to make that point for us that this is the moment the light is dawning. And, uh, and what does Jesus begin his public ministry with? What does he, uh, what does he say? Uh, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark's gospel, if you read there, Mark chapter 1, you don't need to turn to it, but Mark says it like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And this was it. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So you might notice that Mark refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of God, but Matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. But they're talking about the same thing, pretty much. It's two sides to, to what really is the same coin. And, uh, and Mark adds this moment that uh, along with repentance, there's a call to believe as well, the good news. So let's just break that, um, that announcement down. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, the first part, loads of us will be familiar with, this idea of repentance. Um, this sense that um, in order to enter in or to perceive the kingdom of God, we've got to repent or people have got to repent uh, and reorientate their life towards God and radically change their priorities. So loads of us will be familiar with that sense. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a bit like he's saying people are going one way and in order to perceive and enter into the kingdom of God, they've got to repent and completely change direction and look another way. And then you'll be able to enter into the kingdom of God. He's not saying get yourself sorted and then you can enter into the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying here. He's just saying turn around from the way you've been going and look towards God. Prioritize or reorientate your life on God and you'll be able to see what it is that God's doing. So let's get to the central issue, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. What is it? What's the kingdom of heaven? I wonder if, um, if someone came up to you tomorrow in the street or in work or college or wherever you are and said, can you just explain to me what the Bible means when it's talking about the kingdom of heaven? How many of us would have a, a ready-to-go reply, like response, like, oh yeah, I, can, I could talk to you about the kingdom of heaven for a minute. I know when I was sitting down writing this, I was thinking like, gosh, how would I actually begin to unpack that with someone if they just asked me? Straight off the bat, what is the kingdom of heaven? How would you, how would you unpack that? Um, and, and the truth is that, um, that Jesus spoke about it a lot. It was like the central part of his message, you know, the core of what he was talking about. And you see it throughout the Gospel of Matthew particularly and in the chapters to come. But if someone was to say, what is the kingdom of God and how will it come? I would have, I, I'd be struggling slightly to, to give them an answer straight off the bat. But one way of understanding it is to think of it like this, is to think of the kingdom of God as his kingship and his rule and his authority. It's where he reigns. Okay, it's his reign. That's the kingdom of God is his reign. And that's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, those lines are coupled together. When we pray your kingdom come, it's followed by your will be done. Where God's kingdom comes, his will is done. It's where his reign is in effect. And so the kingdom is God's reign, his rule, his authority, and his kingship. I read one theologian this week who wrote this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, is a petition for God to reign. 
to manifest his kingly sovereignty and power, to put to flight every enemy of righteousness, an enemy of his divine rule, that God alone would be the king over all the world. That's what we're praying when we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, for his reign. And actually, um, the whole Bible can be unpacked uh, with this theme of kingdom. So what we're going to do briefly um, is, is try and get our heads in, inside the heads of the people of Capernaum and what they would have understood and heard as Jesus was saying these words, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So if you were a first century Jew, you're listening to Jesus talk, what would you have understood? And then we're going to try and unpack what does that mean for us today, okay? So that's what we're going to, we're going to try and do. So we're going to go right back to um, the beginning of the story that the Jewish people would have been really familiar with. So in Genesis, where it says in Genesis chapter 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now this word rule is like, it's a kingdom word, the word rule. It's like what kings and queens do, isn't it? And if you actually look um, at the original, uh, the original language, um, it actually means to, to sort of, like a, a runner would run or a teacher would teach. This is like a king would king. Okay, it means literally to king. King over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. I wonder how many of us are about that in our day-to-day, ruling over the fish and the birds. My daughter, Libby, thinks she rules over the birds occasionally. We had a moment in the summer where uh, we were on a beach, I think we were in Exmouth, with a cousin who lost a jam sandwich to a seagull. Yeah, you feel the pain, don't you? It was a traumatic moment. But Libby is sat down watching this happen, and she was livid. She literally, she's only, she was only two and, a, or two and three quarters at the time, and she just launched up from the picnic, and she just ran at it and shouted, bird! Tried to grab the sandwich back. Anyway, and assert her rule uh, over this bird. But the, the, the kind of the imagery that we get right at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the story, is that in order to image God the way we were created to, we, we were given the, the task to rule, to be, to be king, to king and queen over the world. And so the story of the Bible as a whole is about kingdoms. It starts with God as the king who installs human rulers to rule, on, uh, rule the world on God's behalf. And they'll take all of its raw potential everything that it's capable of and they'll put it in the direction of the will of the king so they'll take it in in the direction of God's will but that calling requires humanity to make some huge decisions about what's good and what's not good about good and evil we think about Adam and Eve and the story that unfolds there and human beings have to make a choice will humans be the one be the ones who let God define good and evil where he has the knowledge and the wisdom about good and evil, and we'll rely on that as we rule the world, or are humans going to seize the opportunity to define the knowledge of good and evil in their own terms and redefine good and evil in a way that's best for me that might not be best for you? And that's what they choose. And in a way, that's what we all choose in one sense in our lives. 
And that's why the, the announcement of the, the, the kingdom, Jesus starts with repent. There's a knowledge that we've all gone astray. We need to reorientate our lives back towards God in order to really perceive and enter into what he's doing. So essentially the Bible depicts humans as starting an alternate kingdom in what is like a hostile takeover, basically, of the world. And they seize autonomy from God. God is the king. He appoints these rulers and then they take over and begin an alternate kingdom. And we enter into an age of human kingdoms that redefine good and evil in their own terms. You with me so far? Yeah? And Jesus calls these corrupt kingdoms, he calls them the kingdom of this age. If you hear him say that, that's what he's on about, the kingdom of this age. Or Paul later refers to to it as the age of sin and death. And so the plot line of the Bible kind of centers around this question, what is God going to do about this hostile takeover? How is God going to respond to humans establishing themselves as kings and queens? separate from him and what what God does is he sets in plan and sets in motion a plan to reassert his kingdom and his rule over the kingdoms of the world so he starts by calling and gathering a new people calling a people out of the people of the earth who are going to be his people who are going to be his family and who he's going to teach and show this is how you image me to the world around you this is how I want you to live. And we might know those people as uh, Abraham and Sarah. Okay, he calls Abraham and Sarah out and he establishes them as his people. And he says things to them like, walk before me and be blameless. Obey my voice and keep my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And so Abraham and Sarah lead this family. And they're to train them in God's ways. They're to train them in justice and righteousness And this is like an alternate kingdom to the kingdoms of the world. God begins to draw out a people and make them an alternate people, an alternate kingdom. But then the family gets really big. We know the story. The family gets really big. And they end up in slavery to one of the biggest, baddest kingdoms uh, on the earth, to Egypt. And their larger-than-life king, Pharaoh, who kind of um, depicts... In Pharaoh, you've got got everything that's wrong with the, the kingdoms and the kings of this world. Power hungry, redefining evil on their own, uh, of good and bad on their own terms. Um, and Pharaoh and Egypt, and Egypt grind the family of God into the dust. They're like, they're, they're like, they press them down and down and down into the dust, taking what they can from them. And what does God do in this moment? God reasserts his kingdom over Pharaoh. He raises up Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's heart is hard and he tries to go toe-to-toe with God in utter refusal to acknowledge that there's a king and a kingdom more powerful than him. And the story is is, it's intense if you read it and, uh, and, and remember it because God is confronting evil. God is... It's the conflict between the divine and the human hostile takeover kingdoms. It's this conflict right in our, in our eyes, that's go, in our view that's going on. And who wins this conflict? God wins the conflict. Pharaoh's crushed in the waves of the, of the sea and the people uh, are liberated through the water and 
this is the first moment in the storyline of the Bible where God is referred to as king. Moses and Miriam, they sing this song in response to God leading them through and uh, into, uh, into freedom. And they say, this is um, uh, in Exodus chapter 15, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. Yahweh will rule as king forever and ever. And that's the first time in scripture where God is referred to as king. And so when we look at the way that God has displayed and proven his authority over the world, his, his kingship, what we see is the true king has reasserted his reign over the kingdom of this age by he forms a people for himself and he confronts evil and, it's, and the pain that it causes and he liberates his people and invites them to live under his kingship. So that's what it's, it looks like when God is reasserting his kingdom. He, he calls a people, he forms a people, he confronts sin and he confronts evil and he, he liberates them, he sets them free to live as they were meant to live. Those are the three things that happen when God reasserts his kingdom. And so if we go back to our text today in Matthew and look again at what the people were hearing and understanding about this word kingdom and this theme of kingdom that runs through the scriptures that they knew so well, this would have been like large and really alive in their minds as Jesus was talking. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, it means God is reasserting himself as king over the kingdoms of this age. God is reasserting himself again over the, over the kingdoms of this age. The king is forming a new people. The king is liberating them from the kingdoms of this world. And the king is confronting evil and oppression uh, and, and pain in the people that he loves so much. So we know in Jesus' time there was a, a, a new kingdom on the scene, the, the, the kingdom of Rome, uh, with Caesar and, and his, all his soldiers and, and the Roman Empire at work. And it's in this moment that Jesus chooses to announce his, his kingdom. Jesus is presenting himself as the one who is reasserting God's rule and reign and kingship over the nations and the people. And so the first thing we see in this passage, if we go back to it, is that it begins with Jesus forming an alternate people. So from verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will, I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats uh, and their father and followed him. So the disciples become this alternate um, people. 
They become this alternate family, which Jesus is sort of like drawing together as the start of his ministry, as the start of him reasserting his reign and his kingship over the kingdoms of the earth. He starts to draw together this people. And, and the people are um, not the people we necessarily would expect for him to be drawing together to be his, you know, his team. You know, really ordinary, normal people, fishermen from Galilee. And, and the way he calls them is like slightly kingly, isn't it? You know, Jesus, you know, he like turns up and he just says, follow me, you know, and, and they do. You know, it, it's, it's like a, it's a very strange moment. If, like, if I was to walk into Costa Coffee tomorrow morning down the road and I just said to everyone who was in there, follow me, you know, no one's going to follow me. Well, unlikely, unless it looks like there's, a, there's an emergency or something like that. But Jesus in this moment, this sort of kingly summons that he gives to the disciples, follow me, and they do, follow me, and they do. Jesus draws ordinary people full of flaws and shortcomings, things they've done wrong, things they don't understand. He draws the ordinary people to be his people, this new alternate family that he's creating and he's drawing together. The king of the kingdom of heaven is wanting to use them and he's wanting to partner with them and he's wanting to image through them who he is and what his kingdom is like. Isn't that amazing? ordinary normal fisherman Jesus is saying I want to partner with you in doing what I'm doing here I want to show through you who I am what I'm like what my kingdom is like he's crafting a people he's bringing a people drawing a people together forming a new people and then what does he do next what do we see see next in verse 23 it says this Jesus went throughout Galilee he's teaching in synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread over, over Syria and people brought him uh, all who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering severe, severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus starts to liberate people from the kingdom of this world. He starts to confront the evil and the oppression and the pain and the sickness within the people. Do you see that, that theme that kind of runs through the story? And people would have had those, in, those things in their mind. Matthew's drawing these things out intentionally, saying, pointing to us, uh, pointing out for us even, that God, in Jesus announcing the kingdom, he started to draw people together to, to live as an, in an alternate way to form an alternate kingdom and he began to confront pain oppression injustice and he began to set people free and he wants us to see all of those things as part of what Jesus is doing to highlight that he's God and that he's reasserting his kingdom and his reign and that is why the crowds followed him that's why ordinary people from around Capernaum were like captivated by this man by who Jesus was, is because they saw what was going on underneath the surface. They saw more than just the healings and the setting free and the demon-possessed being released from captivity and all that kind of stuff. They saw there was a story being unwoven here, being unraveled before their eyes, that Jesus was actually being sent from, was sent from God. And, and that's why that Jesus ultimately is put to death. The next three chapters in the, in the book of Matthew are, um, are, are full of Jesus' teachings um, and, and where Jesus will say, um, 
you know, things like the poor and the broken are those who are blessed and honored, and where the rich and the self-proclaimed righteous are loved but are last in the queue in his kingdom. He's going to say his, his kingdom is a kingdom where enemies are loved, where people pray for those who persecute them, where treasure on earth is worthless. Treasure in heaven is everything. Jesus doesn't get crucified for saying those things. Jesus gets crucified because he's claiming to be the king of a kingdom that's being reasserted over the kingdoms of the earth. He got crucified because he was announcing he was the king of that kingdom. And the kingdom of this age was so well established in in the hearts of the Jewish leaders that they went toe-to-toe with God, just like Pharaoh did. And they thought they'd won by crucifying Jesus. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? In the resurrection of Jesus, as he conquers death and sin, breaks the power of it, he has the victory. It's his victory. And so when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, what's he saying? He's saying God is reasserting his kingdom and his rule over the kingdoms of the earth. And we are invited to be part of that. The normal people, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the normal people with flaws and shortcomings are invited to image again who God is and show who he is to the world, to be part of announcing his kingdom, to be part of bringing his kingdom to earth. And so what does that mean for us today? I don't know if you're sitting there thinking, great, Bob, um, well done for, you know, linking that all together. But what does that actually mean for us today, sitting here, that the kingdom has come near? Well, Jesus left us, didn't he, or left the disciples with this command. In Matthew 28, he says, um, it says, then Jesus came to them, this is the disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, there's this like kingly nature to what Jesus is talking about. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus has given us like these this like direction. He's given us this, this invitation to be part of what he's doing. To announce his kingship and his kingdom. To make disciples of all the nations. And to teach them everything that he's commanded us to do. So, the question that I was thinking I wanted to ask myself in this, and you might want to ask yourself as well, is how, how do we, as God's people, uh, live as people announcing the kingdom of God? That's what I kind of want to know. How do we live in the light of what Jesus is saying here? How do we announce the kingdom of God as his people? You know, when I walk into a room, like, how do I announce the kingdom of God in that place? Now, obviously, all, when, when we go about not everyday life, you know, there's not all, always that opportunity to open our mouths and announce the kingdom of God in the way, you know, that Jesus does. But how, how do I go about that with my everyday life, joining in with what Jesus is doing? And I, I came to these three things, okay? Um, and, and these are things I'm going to let you in on what I'm praying for, for me, as a result of reading these passages, okay? And of and asking this question. So what I'm praying for is that when I walk into a room, people would experience in me that there's an authority over me 
that's not of this world. That there's a king who I bow to who is not of this world, who is more powerful than it, who has different priorities to that of the world. That's one way I think I want to announce the kingdom of my life, is that people would see in me a different level of priority. Things of God's kingdom that matter to me, that I am pursuing, that are of God's kingdom and not of this world's kingdom, that they would see an authority over me. Does that make sense? Yeah? They pick that up in the things that I talked about, the things that I give my time to, where I put my money, if we ever get to talk about that kind of stuff, who I am, what, I, what I'm about, the way I talk, all those kind of things. They'd see an authority over me. Secondly, I, I, I think I'm praying that they would see the authority of a king um, in me, uh, in the sense that like, um, the way that I draw people to community, the way that, you know, what we've been looking at today is Jesus, Jesus draws people to image himself. Um, he draws them into a new community, to an alternate community. And, and I kind of want people to see that in me, to see that living in me, that, that Jesus' invitation, his spirit living in me, looks different for the way that I interact with people, the way I value people the way that I speak to them, the way that I give them my time and my, you know, my energy and things like that. And thirdly, um, when, I, when I think about announcing God's kingdom, I, I want to think about, um, I want to pray about people experiencing the authority of the king through me as well. So over me in terms of what I'm about, in me in terms of the way I connect with them, but also through me in terms of the things that I carry and the outworking of the Holy Spirit's power in me, that people would experience through me the Holy Spirit's power, a living reality of Jesus' commission, of confronting evil, of, of opposing oppression, of healing the sick and of loving the unlovable. And so those three things I'm longing to enter more into in light of this, uh, looking at this, uh, this stuff this, this, um, in this season, that people would see a, a different thing over me what I'm, uh, and they'd see a different thing in me and they'd see, experience a different thing through me as well, the kingdom of God through me. And, um, and so that's my challenge to myself and, uh, and I wanted to just to invite you into that uh, as well today to... to um, uh, yeah, so why don't we stand and we'll pray into that together. And Holy Spirit, we, um, Lord, we just ask that you'd come now. And Lord, that you'd move in our hearts. God, we thank you that you have um, you've brought a new kingdom. You've, brought, you've reasserted your rule and your reign on the earth. And we long to enter more and more fully into what that is. We long to live out that kingdom, out that place, and to see your kingdom come to earth. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move in our hearts afresh today. Lord, to call us to repentance where we need to. 
where we need to reorientate our lives again towards you. And by your spirit, Lord, just to, to enter, for each one of us to enter more fully into what it is to be a people who are called out to image you to the world around them. To live with you as our king. And so we pray, would you enable us to be your people? Or to take on your agenda again in our life, in our lives, to put you first. And Lord, to recognize where sometimes we've got things wrong, where we've adopted values or uh, priorities that are in line with the kingdom of this world and not of yours. And Lord, we just, we, we reject those and we ask, would you replace those with the priorities of your kingdom, of what you're about? just in this moment we've got, got a couple of minutes why don't we just take a moment just between, um, between yourself and the Lord just, to, just to, to speak with him to lay some things before him